Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Series 2 of the Daniel Morgan murder. I'm Peter Jukes. I'm Devi Amir. And we'll be exploring new revelations from the book by Alistair and me and more of the story which no one thought could be told. It must have been the day after Dad died. And I don't know where we've been, but we came in late and all the family were there. You know, what's going on? Why is everybody suddenly here? Mum put us in the bath and told us that Dad had had an accident and that the ambulance couldn't, you know, they couldn't wake him up, and that he wasn't coming home. Daniel was screaming, and I think we both, you know, just dumbfounded, really. I mean, it's just not something that you ever, ever expect to hear as a, as a child that, you know, I guess I was six, so a little bit older than Daniel to kind of understand, maybe that just that we wouldn't see him again. That's kind of your, I guess, your understanding at that age of death, isn't it, that you're just not going to see that person again. It's probably still to this day the worst day of my life. I can't imagine that anything, anything could ever feel like that did. But still now it kind of feels like it takes your breath away. That was Sarah Morgan talking for the first time in public about her and her brother Daniel's reaction to the news of their father's death. We'll hear more from her throughout this new series, but let it not be forgotten. Behind the mystery of this true crime, Behind the conspiracy to murder and cover-up is a real personal tragedy and a family's loss. Untold. The Daniel Morgan murder. So welcome to Series 2 of The Daniel Morgan Murder. Yes, welcome. Whilst we've been away, Peter and Alistair Morgan have been busy, haven't you, Peter? We have been very busy. You've been writing a book. Yep. Can you tell us what the title is, please? It's called Untold, The Daniel Morgan Murder Exposed. And it's out today, by the way, uh, published by Blink, available as an e-book and a hardback. Well, I think it's fantastic. And it's also such a good reference book, particularly for this series, because what we're going to do is look through Untold and highlight some of the anomalies and unpick the new discoveries and open them up for discussion. There's so much, though, Peter. How did you feel when you're writing it? Well, to be honest, a mixture of excited, uh, exhausted and slightly terrified. Um, exhausted because, because the panel isn't reporting. We had to do a lot of original research in quite a short time. 
excited because there was so much you know new to discover and so many new connections especially around corrupt policing in southeast london and uh, shocked because as we'll see it just gets worse i mean we've gone through this terrible journey once why are we going through it again well i want to take you back to the beginning to look at the conspiracy why was daniel murdered what was he so scared about in those months and weeks leading up to his murder in the car park in March 1987. I mean, he came to me in a state of wild excitement on one occasion, um, ferreting out what public house I was using at the time, saying, it's, uh, I'm going to make a fortune, I'm going to make a fortune, I'm going to expose police corruption. Well, he had this, uh, this story he was going to sell to the press. He was a member of the Austin Healy Club. And on the Sunday before he died, he went to a meeting of the Austin Healy Club. And I learned later that he'd spoken to a couple of members of the club. And one of them, he had he'd told this person that he believed that Sid Fillory and Jonathan Rees had actually been involved in the Belmont Auctions robbery, that it was a setup. Why? And he'd spoken to another member and told this other person that he was dealing with some police corruption. He didn't trust the Metropolitan Police to deal with it, and he was either going to go to an outside force or go to the press about it. Monday 9th of March, 1987. Daniel went to a meeting at a pub he never usually frequented, the Golden Lion in Sydenham. He parked his smart BMW 5 Series Coupe on the busy road outside. Inside the bar, he met Reese and Fillory, where they had a noisy altercation. So, Peter, you still believe that the story of police corruption was what got Daniel killed? Yeah, very much so, and this whole series will provide new revelations and evidence on that, yeah. So I know writing the book Untold, timelines were particularly important to you. Well, they were vital. The only things that kept me sane sometimes, all the names and things going on. So where shall we start with these new revelations? Well, I think for the purpose of this series, let's go back to the immediate day or so preceding the murder, because there are a lot of indications now which make sense of what was going on. And that's what our first extract from the book is about. So we've got Alistair Morgan Reed in this excerpt, and it's from Chapter 4. Called Lion's Den. Peter, do you want to just set it up for us? We know the Golden Lion was important in terms of its location in the Catford area, but the timing is also important because Detective Sergeant Sid Fillory, the King of Catford, as he was known, had just finished investigating another murder, the stabbing of a man called Leonard Clapton. And on the Monday night, he'd solved it. On the day before Daniel's murder, on Monday the 9th of March 1987, Sid Fillory's team arrested Barry Duffy as a suspect in the Leonard Clapton case. It was solved mainly because of the way I directed my men, Fillory would later boast at the inquest. After his squad had searched the suspect's house and booked him in with murder charges, Fillory led half his troops to the Golden Lion for a celebratory drink around 8.30pm. Fillory was now free for whatever the next case might be. Daniel and Reese arrived an hour or so later, parking their green and blue BMWs separately on the main road. They joined Fillory and five other police officers at the Golden Lion at around 9 or 9.30 p.m. It was the first time Daniel and Reese had drunk together at the Golden Lion. 
Outside, it was a freezing cold night for March. Inside, it soon got heated. One of Fillory's troops recalls Daniel talking to Reese, Fillory, and another police sergeant about old cars. He described Daniel as loud and excitable, and as somebody it would be difficult to ignore in public. There were reports of an argument between Daniel and the head of the Catford crime squad, though Fillory later claimed it was a heated discussion about the arming of police. One customer, when interviewed later by police, recalled seeing an unknown male peering through the window of the saloon bar between 9pm and 9.30pm. One by one, the police officers left, with Daniel, Reese, and Fillory staying in the pub until closing time. So Fillory is now free, and they've had these arguments. But this wasn't one of the regular police pubs, was it? The Golden Iron wasn't, no. The more regular pub was just over the road, only about sort of, you know, a few metres away. And it's very strange there to drink at the uh, Golden Lion, partly because it was run by an Irish family. And at that time, British cops didn't get on so well with Irish families for obvious reasons, because the struggle with the IRA was still going on and there were bombings in London. And the Monday night was the first night that they'd been there. Well, the interesting thing is, of the five nights before the murder, Philip and Reese were drinking together four of them. Three of them at the Dolphin Pub over the road. And then the night before the murder with Daniel at the pub he was murdered in. So there were reports of an argument with Daniel that night, but the only living witnesses are Fillory, Reese, and Fillory's squad. So how reliable are they? Well, it's a bit tricky because they were Fillory's men, and as we know from the inquest and the new evidence from Fillory's driver, a guy nicknamed Boris, they changed their statements. He changed his statement in the inquest to suit Fillory and Reese, who took him down to the pub after the inquest and said, you did well, Boris. Boris was his code name. So there was probably an argument. What it was about, we don't know. And the other thing, of course, was those ominous faces at the window between 9 and 9.30 p.m. I mean, what do you think was going on there? Well, remember this, the next day between 9 and 9.30 was when Danny was killed, and we'll see a similar thing happen. Um, well, what, what, what's going on with this whole scenario? Four of the five nights... Though in the same area just before he died, and in the same pub just before he died. Yeah, because you say in your book that on the night of the murder, an eyewitness noticed a man peering through a window at the back of the pub three times between 9 and 9.20 p.m., and then again five to ten minutes later, returning with a second man. So what is your theory about those faces? Well, in my opinion, there are three basic explanations. One, it's just a coincidence. Yeah, could be true. Possibility that it's a coincidence. Possibility. Secondly, that it was an attempt at luring Daniel there and killing him the first time. That God aborted and went wrong for some reason. Like parking around the front, for example. Yeah, they couldn't get him around the back. He'd only park at the front, so the whole thing was cooled off. Of course, there's a third option, which is only my opinion, that it was a dry run. As they were trying everything out to see how it worked the next night. So where to next? Well, let's go to the morning of Tuesday the 10th of March, 1987, the morning before the murder. And we've got Alastair Morgan reading your second extract from Untold, the Daniel Morgan murder exposed. The next morning, Tuesday the 10th of March, David Bray was woken by a 7.30am call from Daniel. 
David, I want you to come to the office urgently this morning, Daniel said, asking Bray to go to the family home, pick up his children, take them to school, and then come to work as soon as possible. From his tone, Bray thought something important had come up. However, by the time he got to Thornton Heath, Daniel was hoovering up the mess made by a carpenter the previous night. He'd put on a grey suit he'd collected from the dry cleaners to meet some potential new clients. He was also talking to his office manager, Peter Newby, about 16 new jobs that had to be booked in for the company. Daniel never did explain to Bray what he wanted to talk to him about so urgently a few hours before. So early in the morning he was worried about something, but then seemed to brush it under the carpet. Um, what did he do for the rest of the day? Well, about 11am he left the office to go up to Slough, and on the way out, uh, according to multiple witnesses, he said to Jonathan Rees, I'll see you in the Golden Lion tonight. Now, what's interesting about this time is uh, Daniel leaves to go to Slough with his ex-stepfather, Tony Pierce, who works at the company. But like a couple of minutes after Daniel leaves, guess who Jonathan Rees calls? We know this from his mobile phone records. He had an early mobile phone in his car. Guess who he calls? Sid Fillery. So Daniel's off on business, and after he calls Fillery, do we know what Rees does? Oh, well, we know he was having lunch with, guess who? Margaret Harrison the woman, married woman with teenage children who Daniel was having a fling with and it looks from apparently the 67 phone calls to her on the mobile phone over that previous three-month period looks like Reese was also having an affair with. And interestingly, Margaret Harrison still lives with Reese now. That's right. So what's the next significant thing in your timeline? Well then Daniel drives back from Slough with Tony Pierce and there's some interesting things go on in that phone calls from his car phone. He calls Reese twice and Pierce remembers him. After one call, we don't know who it's from, could be incoming and they're not tracked on their mobile phones in those days. He says, that reminds me, I must change my will. I must change my will. Well, it's not something that you would say lightly. What does it suggest to you? Well, that perhaps he was in fear of his life. Or, you know, he could also be coming into something big, like a lot of money. Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, either way, something quite life-altering. Let's just take a quick pause there. Back in a moment. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So Daniel and Reese were set to meet in the Golden Lion that evening around 7.30. Yep. But what was the meeting about, do you think? I don't know. It's, there's different accounts of this. Would you want to hear Reese's account? Mm-hmm. Well, Reese's account is very contradictory. I mean, he says there are three reasons that we're going to meet at the Golden Lion. One was Daniel fancied the barmaid. Now, there's no evidence of this. Apparently, a man with spectacles did come up to the barmaid and say, my mate over there fancies you. And she was quite embarrassed because her husband was present behind the bar too. It's very schoolboyish. Yeah, but it's quite light and trivial, isn't it? Mm, very schoolboy, mm. light and trivial. And we don't know who this guy with glasses was. The second reason that Reese gives is that Daniel wanted to meet Sid and his crew at the Golden Lion, which is a little bit weird. Yeah, because that wasn't a regular police pub of theirs. Exactly. So that seems a bit tenuous. And then the last one is that they were going to meet uh, Paul Goodridge. This is a relative, a distant relative of um, Reese's wife, diamond geezer, bodyguard to the stars, who may or may not have been offering to help them find a loan for the Belmont car auction. This is the guy, the third party. Yeah, the ominous third party. But Reese makes it sound like quite a casual meeting. But you don't think it was as casual for Daniel, do you? No, well, all the evidence of his state of mind back a few weeks earlier when he'd come back from Malta on a trip. There's evidence from a friend of Margaret Harrison's that he told Daniel, told her, that he felt he was a marked man. He'd said that corrupt cops were everywhere to Alistair. He was arguing with policemen in pubs. There's David Bray called in the morning urgently. No, all the evidence was that Daniel Morgan was in quite an intense and concerned state of mind. And there's more evidence that it was a really important meeting because at sometime late that afternoon, a guy called Brian Crush, the guy who restored his Austin Healy, wanted to meet Daniel. Turned up at his house and Daniel owed him some money for his restorations. And he said, well, can we meet for a drink? Daniel says, no, I've got a really important meeting. And Crush goes, well, when will you be free? We can meet later. I don't know. It could go on till midnight. So it's early evening. We're getting closer to the Golden Lion. What are Daniel and Reese doing now? So uh, Daniel goes around six o'clock or so and drinks for an hour with Margaret Harrison, who Reese has just had lunch with. They drink a bottle of wine at Reagan's Wine Bar. Meanwhile, Reese is at the Victory Pub with a solicitor friend of his called Michael Goodridge, no relation to Paul Goodridge. And uh, he knows that Daniel is meeting with Margaret Harrison at the wine bar. Having had lunch with Reese. Okay, so does anything happen between Reagan's wine bar and Daniel arriving at the Golden Lion? Yeah, well, the last person to see Daniel uh, alive uh, before he went to the Golden Lion was a woman who ran the Victoria wine shop. And she saw, and this is important to me, um, Daniel helped her take a sign indoors because she was closing up shop. And she saw him carrying under his arm three or four beige files. Beige? Well, you know, buff-coloured, official-looking. Well, let's hear now from the book, Daniel's Last Drinks at the Golden Lion. Jonathan Reese arrived at the Golden Lion first, at around 7.30pm. There were no traffic restrictions at that time in the evening, and there was a free space on the main Sydenham Road so he parked outside the pub. 
Rhys sat waiting at a table at the back of the saloon bar near the doors that led to the beer garden. Beyond that, out of sight behind a foliage-covered wall, was a secluded car park. Daniel arrived around 15 minutes later in his green BMW coupe. Rhys assumed that he had parked in the rear car park, even though Daniel had entered through the front doors. This would have meant taking a tortuous route along the narrow alleyway rather than entering through the beer garden doors at the back and into the saloon bar. It was a busy night at the Golden Lion. Police later interviewed 84 people who'd been there that evening. Among the drinkers were mourners from a memorial service held at a nearby church, while upstairs in the function room, 16 women from the Golden Lion darts team were playing their rivals, Charlton Valley. 51 people spent some time in the saloon bar between 7pm and 11pm. Several of them remembered seeing two smartly dressed men sitting at the table in a raised area by the door of the bar. Daniel had grown a beard to replace his moustache by this point, and there were only six men with beards in the pub at the time. Not many wore suits. Reese claimed Daniel drank rum, or brandy, while he drank lager. So the obvious question is, why did Daniel park round the back? Well, you know, a lot of theories about this. It's something he never did, according to lots of witnesses, not just Alistair, as we heard in the last series, but um, his bookkeeper, his courier, said Daniel would prefer to get a ticket and park on the street than park in a darkened car park. But here's the thing. Here's my sort of working hypothesis. Those documents. Now, um, if you wanted to show somebody important documents about police corruption, perhaps, maybe to, I don't know, an internal investigator or a journalist or something like that, you would not want local police officers to see you parking, to see you meeting. You might go wait in a pub, and when this person turns up, check them out and say, I've got them in my car, and show these people these documents. In a dark, secluded area. Of a dark, secluded car park, yeah. yeah. Does that make sense? That to makes you? sense. I, yeah. I, quite, I, I like that theory. I mean, you know, he did park right at the front the night before, yeah. so... There was obviously a reason of some sort, or Something. maybe someone told him to, and he parked around the back. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You know, it's it's something clandestine, isn't it? Something slightly secretive is yeah. going on, and it's yeah. an important meeting. I mean, those two go together to me. So this is important. If you've got to prove something to a police officer investigating corruption or to a journalist, you know, it's not going to be somebody's word. You need documents. So they wait for an hour and a half and no one turns up and then Reese leaves. Well, Reese leaves about uh, just around nine o'clock. He says he left a few moments ahead of Daniel and suddenly evidence is Daniel was last to leave from the bar, Barwon. Uh, and he says the last thing he sees Daniel doing is writing some notes using a Parker Steel ballpoint pen on a petrol receipt. And was this receipt ever found? The receipt, no. Well, not a petrol receipt, but what was found in his wallet was a receipt from the Uno Plus wine bar. This is a wine bar nearby, another drinking hole, endless drinking holes in this story, uh, which Daniel had attended with Margaret Harrison, not Reagan's. This is another one, and cops used to drink at. But there's interesting things written on this receipt. Really? So what was written on it? So written on that receipt were two figures. One is 250,000. The second is 1.8 million. Now, 250,000, does that sound familiar? 
Well, wasn't 250,000 the amount witnesses said Daniel was going to sell the story for? Well, there's 250,000 that suggested that he was going to sell it for, he told Madigan initially. That did change to £40,000. The same amount, exactly the same amount that Haslam, Derek Haslam, you know, the detective, knew Taffy Holmes, told the murder inquiry soon after the murder that Daniel was selling the story for. I mean, it's always been cast out. That's a lot of money for a story. So I have a sort of tentative theory of this, which I haven't even put in the book. I mean, 250000 was always an extraordinary amount for, for newspaper stories. So that's unlikely. But if you combined 40000 this story, the scoop, with reward money. Now, what happens is that if you help with a drugs recovery or a major bust, they give you a percentage of the value of that drugs recovery or recaptured goods as a reward, what customs do. And in those days, yes, you get percentage rewards. So imagine there was a consignment worth 180 million. You got 1%, that'd be 1.8 million. I'm just saying, you know, it's just crazy speculation here. And imagine you're going to share that. You know, it's five or six ways. You know, some people get more than others. Your share might be... Totaling or roughly around a 250,000 number. So those numbers could potentially be significant. Could be. We don't know. Well, let's go back to what we know and let's revisit Series 1 and the car park on that fateful night. Daniel Morgan's body was found around 9.40pm in the car park at the back of the Golden Lion pub in Sydenham, lying between his car and another. Forensics would show he had been struck three times on the back of the head with an axe. Any of those three blows would have killed him instantly. But while he lay prone on the ground, the killer stood over him and landed a fourth blow to his face, which was so forceful, it severed his brainstem. The axe was left in the body. Nearby on the gravel were Daniel's car keys and two bags of crisps he had bought for his two young children. His expensive Rolex watch was not found on the body but in his jacket pocket was a thousand pounds in cash he'd collected earlier that day from his office. The right-hand trouser pocket of Daniel's brand-new suit was also torn at the seam. So those are the horrific forensic facts. Yeah. Do you have any new information for us on that? Well, we have some startling uh, new information from the crime scene and perhaps... One of the most shocking bits of evidence is the lack of forensic security around the crime scene, particularly noted by a scene of crimes officer, a civilian scene of crimes officer, which in itself is weird for a serious murder. Why didn't they have a police crimes officer who noticed something very strange happening to Daniel's car soon after the murder? We'll have a listen to this shocking chapter from Untold, read by Alistair Morgan. A forensic photo taken that night by the Met photographer Michael Rhodes seems to show finger marks on the right-hand driver's door of Daniel's car, which was still locked when the police got there. But by the time Malcolm Reynolds, a fingerprint expert of over 23 years, arrived to examine the BMW, those marks had gone. There were other disturbing anomalies too. The civilian scene of crime officer Leonard Flint watch D.S. Frost search Daniel's body and discover the large wad of banknotes, precisely 1,067 pounds, 47 pence in his left-hand pocket. Flint was alarmed to hear there was no police exhibits officer available. 
He also vaguely recalled seeing an expensive watch on Daniel's wrist. Much more alarming was Flint's recollection that plainclothes officers opened the boot and doors to Daniel's BMW and removed a briefcase and paperwork. This caused him consternation because nobody appeared to be taking any notes and there was no exhibits officer to record it. So we've got reports of missing documents, a missing fingerprint. Yes, let's remind people there was a fingerprint on the photograph of the night of the murder, yet when they come to actually fingerprint the car in the morning, because it's covered with the dew, no fingerprints on the car at all. Especially the other two bits of evidence we've got here is looking more suspicious, because why would Daniel's car have absolutely no fingerprints on it? Well, what does that suggest to you? Well, to me, suggests it's been wiped down. So having no police exhibits officer at the crime scene, I mean, how does that happen? The murder squad is organised by the area major incident pool. This is area number three, as it used to be, and so it'll be a senior officer allocating resources to that. And there is that report, worryingly, that we just heard, that they removed documents. Yeah, yeah, well, that's the evidence of Leonard Flint, the civilian scene of crimes officer. That is staggering, it's staggered. Alistair, this has emerged very deep in documentation. And I think is very, very worrying because we talked about the files, how important they could be, explain the meeting, explain how urgent it was to Daniel, police corruption and why he'd park in the car park. I think it's fair to say that the forensics on the first murder inquiry weren't very good. Well, you're not the only one to say that. Two years later, the forensics were described in the Hampshire report by a guy called DCI Farley, described the uh, forensic account of the murder scene as pathetic and that things exhibits weren't maintained, there was no trail of ownership and things went missing. Now, the question is to me and probably all of us having heard the whole story is, was this incompetence or was this organised incompetence, i.e. a plot to disrupt the murder scene, to hide evidence? Well, you say organised, but at what level of organisation are we talking about here? Well, here's the thing, and this is really what this whole second series is about. Here already you can see that the crime scene has been compromised. And as we go on, we'll see that compromise continue. It will continue, of course, with Fillory on the original murder squad, but it will continue after he's gone. So that's the great mystery we're looking at, the level of this organisation. And I suppose that's the bigger question, isn't it? Over the last 30 years, how high up does it go? Meanwhile, of course, what has gone missing at this stage already? Documents. Now to me, and this is suggested by police intelligence some 20 years later, that Daniel had documents of police corruption. So it seems to me it's not just good enough to lure Daniel to the secluded car park and silence him. You need to get whatever he's got. You've got to stop this story coming out. And if it's on paper, it can come out even when he's dead. So what you're saying is, in order to do the cover-up, you have to kill the man, bury the evidence, in order to kill the story. And then you'll have the perfect murder. A perfect murder, almost. Except for one thing, of course. One man. Alistair Morgan. Next episode, we'll be looking at the first Daniel Morgan murder how the intervention of Alastair Morgan changed the direction of the inquiry completely. 
Untold, the Daniel Morgan murder exposed is available to buy online at www.amazon.co.uk or in stores now. Episode 1 was produced by Peter Jukes and Devi Amir. Music by Shemaili Mir. Additional music support by Daniel Pike and Incompetech. A Flameflower Duende production. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.